1: Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests. please visit kuci.org/privacypiracy good evening murray
0: good evening i am so pleased tonight lloyd we have a real celebrity all the way coming to us from ohio She is a leader in one of the organizations that I belong to. We've talked about the International Association of Privacy Officers, and Sandy Hughes is the president, and she's a great leader. She's brilliant, and we're so thrilled to have her. I'm going to tell my audience a little bit about her before we get started. Sandy Hughes is the global ethics, compliance, and privacy executive at the Procter & Gamble Company headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. Their privacy program has been designed and implemented to promote trust among consumers, employees, and other constituencies by protecting an individual's right to privacy just as they would expect. The purpose of the Ethics and Compliance Organization is to put tools and processes in place to minimize the possibility of a breach and protect privacy. Sandy is a certified information privacy professional, a CIPP, which I am too, so we're, we're soul sisters in that way. But she is the president of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. She's also a leader of the Privacy, Security, and Technology Working Group of the U.S. Council of International Business. And she serves as the State of Ohio Chief Privacy Officer Advisory Board. She is a founding member of the Public Policy Steering Committee of EPC Global, which is a standards organization that utilizes radio frequency identification. She has participated in many industry and consumer efforts to create RFID, which is that radio frequency identifier guidelines, for responsible use of the technology for item-level tagging. She's a chapter auth. She is a chapter author in the book RFID Applications: Privacy and Security, which is edited by Simpson Garfinkel and Beth Rosenberg. And she's a frequent speaker on global privacy topics in many, many different forums. Sandy's career spans over 30 years at Procter and Gamble Company, with global, regional, and local assignments, both in Ohio, Alabama and Germany and Belgium. And we are just so thrilled to have you join us, Sandy, all the way from Ohio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have to ask you this first. What was it like living in Germany and Belgium? (laughs) It was so
2: exciting, I tell you, especially at that point in my life. Um, I was a new mom. So my son was six months old. Moved to a country where I didn't speak the language, um, into a neighborhood <laughs> where nobody spoke the language, and I walk into the office uh, on my first day, and you know the boss, who was a very stereotypical German, said, "I can't believe you have a baby at home and you're still working here." You're oh
0: no! <laughs> so he
2: had all of those things, you know, going for me. But I'll tell you, it was one of the best experiences of my life. So. And so you learned to speak a little bit of German? Uh, it was a uh, forced immersion. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, got to the point where I was living, breathing uh, German to the point where sometimes I'd be speaking to my English friends and they were like, speak
0: English, you know, <laughs> don't speak German. <laughs> and how about your baby? Did your baby grow up learning any he German? He
2: did. He did. He's 24 now and uh, he still uh, can speak German, unfortunately, it's the uh, slang and words that he remembers the
0: most. (laughs) Yeah, but that's great. I know my son actually lived in, um, he went to Berlin and lived there because he studied for like a summer there. Um, So he learned some German. Yeah, And my daughter was born in Germany and
2: then we moved to Belgium and you know, so her her claim to fame is because you know the Belgians can speak at least
0: five languages. Yes, whenever,
2: is that she could sing "Happy Birthday" in ten
0: different languages. So <laughs> she speaks. So she learned a little French and a little German. A little and bit of everything. Yeah, because we did travel a lot as well. So what um, a great experience, Sandy. Well,
2: it was. Yeah, personally and professionally. So being able to learn about the different cultures and doing business in those cultures really opens your mind to, um, you know, how to. Uh, really reach people on their level and for the things that are important to them. So.
0: Exactly. So that was a wonderful opportunity. I mean, what a great wealth you brought back to when you came back to the States to bring that kind of cultural uh, and, you know, astuteness about that. That was great.
2: Yeah, it's been good for the, the kids, too, as they've grown up. So they're, uh, you know, more independent in their thinking. Unfortunately, they also like to go
0: they want to go back. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And unfortunately, Europe is so darn expensive right now that it's. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yes. So tell us, you know, many of the people in my audience don't know t- too much about the, you know, the International Association of Privacy Professionals. We've we've had uh, Trevor Hughes on and we've had other members and, and I'm a member, but we really haven't had uh, a president talking. So tell us about the association. It has really changed since it's First inception,
2: it has, it has, and as Trevor, Trevor is the executive director of IAPP, so International Association of Privacy Professionals. So he, for those of you who uh, weren't able to listen to um, his session with you, Mari, the um, the mission of the IAPP is to define, promote, and improve the privacy profession globally. So it's a nonprofit professional association that offers a forum and for individuals who are working in the privacy profession to share best practices, to learn, to uh, network with others in the same field, um, to uh, uh, help to build up their own programs, etc. So we do that through um, education opportunities, publications. Uh, we have the daily dashboard that goes out every day. It's free. You don't even have to be a member that talks about what's happening in news uh, with privacy around the globe. So
0: And you do and, certification. That's how, and the certification. That's how we became exactly, CIPPs. <laughs> exactly. We
2: offer the only certification for privacy in the world. And um, we're continuing to Add to the different certifications that are available. So we'll soon. Right now, we have a a general CIPP, which is mostly U.S.-based. We'll have uh, we have one for Canada. We have one for the government people working in the government, and we'll be launching one for people working in IT coming out in the fall. So, and then we'll be working on one for Europe uh, as our next step. So, and it's grown. I mean, the membership from. When IAPP first got its start back in 2000, was just a couple hundred of us who were getting it going, and now we're over 5,000 members.
0: I know. I went it's to that very really first tremendous. program, and I remember i that's where I met Larry Poneman, because I was presenting at that with yeah. Beth Givens, and then we got to meet all these wonderful people. It has been such a great experience to meet all these people, and I mean... And, I loved it. I became uh, when I went to Toronto is when I became a CIPP, and it was it was a great learning experience. The training was perfect, and just just it's an amazing group of people that a lot of people just don't even really know about this new field of privacy professionals. So it's great. Well, and maybe I can just take this.
2: uh, I think um, if, if people haven't signed up, it's. September 22nd to 24th is the Academy, which is in Orlando. And um, then the next uh, big conference, it's the biggest one that we offer, is in March. That's called the um, IAPP Summit, and it's always held in Washington, D.C. So people can find out information on the website, which is www.privacyassociation.org.
0: Perfect. That's great. Now let's talk about your role as president. What, what are you doing as the fearless leader of this group? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's short and sweet. We have a, uh,
2: a board of about uh, 20, 25 members, and they're made up of all different industries and individuals who have been really made um, a lot of progress for the profession. And we rotate the um, presidency through an election every year. And my term is for one year, so that will be up in January. Um, Mostly what I do is advise uh, the executive director, Trevor Hughes. Uh, He really runs the show (laughs) there. Um, But uh, as he says when we uh, went on a delegate tour, that's one of the offerings um, that the IAPP does every year. Um, he introduced me as his boss, so I <laughs> guess you could say that to him. So we decide, you know, uh, I do his performance appraisal and things uh. like that. But, but also um, over uh, before president, your um, the vice president, and through that I have to set up um, some governance things through an audit committee and also led the group in a five-year strategy development so and and
0: you're the face of our association and that's a cute face too (laughs) 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 yeah no but i mean it's also a face of, of warmth and friendliness which is really what you want to do to attract even more members so i think that's very positive as well thank you so, what legacy do you want to leave in January of two thousand nine? What, what, uh, what do you want to believe is after your tenure? Well, I hope it's more than just you know the fact that I like to wear
2: nice shoes. <laughs> 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 I got to tell you, at the uh, um, in March at the uh, summit, I was able to uh, introduce Nina Totenberg uh, from NPR, and when we were sitting there. Uh, just chatting before um, and then I got up and introduced her and then she got up and thanked me and the first thing she said was anybody who can wear those shoes all day. (laughs) they are gorgeous shoes. And it just happened to be I had on these bright red four-inch heels. Oh, my gosh. And I love to wear heels. (laughs) And so all day, you know, I mean, for the whole conference the next two days, people were coming up and checking out my shoes.
0: Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) But anyway, beyond that, with the shoe jean that I have, Uh um, probably I would like to be remembered for – really trying to push the I in IAPP, so putting the international, what's our reach, et cetera. uh, We just started with um, an affiliate program with uh, Australia and New Zealand, so there is kind of like a chapter of IAPP there. They're their own independent but linked together with us. Right. Uh, we just set up a, um, an agreement with the, another uh, professional association in Germany called GDD as a partnership. So their members and our members are, are uh, you know, complementary as far as participating in each other's services, et cetera. We have the Canada program, which we've started there um, with. We've had two annual summits there so far and we have the certification so we plan to do more for canada and we've got europe in our sites um we're going to be doing a workshop in the fall so
0: you little, know, little really did you know that when you were living in in europe that this was <laughs> full <that's> circle right. <laughs> <laughs> it does help i told Trevor well, maybe for this um for this workshop
2: coming up when we kick it off, you know, he can speak in French, I can speak in German, and we can show them, at least through the leadership, you know, we are international. Exactly. <laughs> so.
0: That sounds great. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> so tell me about the privacy program at your beloved uh, Procter & Gamble. You've been there a long, long time, and yeah. and you know, how is it that you were there for so many years, how is it that you got to be the chief, you know, privacy person there? <laughs> Well, it's a long
2: story, but um, basically, um, I actually have an IT background, and, but my specialty was not technology, it was more process reengineering. So, So, um, over my career of 32 years, I've had about 20 different assignments.
0: Lots and, of hats, huh? Pardon? <laughs> Lots of hats. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of
2: hats, that's right. Well, it's been mostly wherever there's been some problem situation, I'll kind of parachute in there and help to... Um, you know, figure out what's the problem, come up with the strategy, kind of set the the course then, and then there'll be something else, and I go on to the next thing. So um, um, the first place where I really got into the policy area was back in 2001, and this was uh, where the corporate service that was leading our competitive intelligence program basically made some ethical bad choices, and... um, some people were asked to leave the company, so I came in to overhaul our policies on how we collect information about competitors, and you know the training and putting the guidelines and everything in place. And then it was uh, records management, um, and, and that I also had in addition to competitive intelligence and trying to get a retention schedule. In place was no priority for the company until WorldCom and Enron hit, and then all of a sudden we need to have a policy for records (laughs) management, and so I did that. And then the uh, privacy officer who had started our program back in um, in the days of the Internet uh, getting kicked off was retiring. So, my boss at the time said, Well, Sandy has these other policy areas. Let's just give her this one, too. Oh. And, all, you know, the guy going out said, Oh, it'll only be 15% of a person, anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. And then you look at it now and how it's grown with everything. And so, it's pretty huge. But um, so that's kind of how I
0: got into it, I guess. Um,
2: and uh, being the
0: troubleshooter, they just put you yeah. wherever there's trouble. <laughs> Well, and hopefully, well, and with this one, because I
2: really love the privacy area. I also love the competitive intelligence. So I did usually, you know, my assignments would be the next problem came up, and I said, listen, I just want to stick with these and really write them through, because um, I really love these things. Yeah, you know? yeah. I finally, privacy was so much, I had to give up the competitive intelligence. But um, Well, look you know, at what a growing area that is. Oh, and it, and it really was. But then, of course, I got ethics and compliance, so that's another story we could talk about. So the challenges for our privacy program um, are really to satisfy and, and meet what we claim is our total mission uh, which is to satisfy the consumer. So for us, being one of the world's largest consumer products, goods companies, uh, for us the consumer is boss, and that plays through everything that we do, our strategies, um, how we design our products and services, etc. So setting up a privacy program with that as the basis was um, actually something that didn't get a lot of resistance because it was just – the right thing to do and people could see that. We're also the world's largest advertiser, so um, we're always out in front looking for new ways of connecting with consumers and building relationships with them. And for us to produce products and services that delight the consumer every day, we need to um, collect personal information and develop that relationship. So that's where privacy comes in. and. For every new way that we can, uh, you know, the company may think of to, you know, do research with consumers or to, you know, market new products and things to them, um, we're always trying to build privacy in.
0: Well, so, I could see that. You know, I'm I'm looking at some of the things that were on you, that are on your website, and you know, you have that um, pg.com/company/our-commitment-privacy. slash is you know slash privacy was great i mean it really it you you have frequently asked questions you tell about everything you're very transparent on those pages which i thought was really impressive
2: yeah th- we that's our what we really try to do so our our goal is to be fully transparent with consumers offer them choices about how we continue to communicate with them or things that they can learn and on that web page that you said and um and there should be a, sh- a short form to that, too, where it's pg.com slash your privacy okay. underlined in there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Here's another one, yeah, because I printed it off here to make it easy for me. Yeah, you do. You said, what is privacy? Yep. You explain personally identifiable information and sensitive yep. PII and explain about cookies. Yeah, it's great. You you really developed a a very clear explanation of a lot of the privacy issues that, that affect all businesses. That's exactly right, because we can try to build privacy into the things
2: that we do, but our consumers are shopping and going other places with other manufacturers as well. And so by helping to educate them on what to look for and um, what to expect when they are giving their personal information, how to ask the right questions, you know, why do you need to have my phone number for example.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um,
2: then they will become more aware of um, what uh, people are doing with their information and how they can protect it.
0: Right, and, and it, it gives it. them choices. I noticed that you, I also pulled up when you testified in Congress, mm-hmm. and you were talking about what, that that consumers should have choices, and they should have notice. I, I yes. was really impressed that you were You know, coming out there and letting them know what businesses should provide. How was that experience for you? Um, You mean testifying? Yeah, I've done it, too. What did you think about it?
2: I thought it was exhilarating. Um, Yeah. It was a little bit grueling, not the actual testimony to Congress, but what
0: my company put me through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you probably had the same thing. But I mean, how many people know, because well, so. no, I work for myself, I didn't have to do that. Oh, you but you didn't have to do that, No, yet. but they pro- you probably well, got read 50 million times by 50 million people, right? Asked <laughs> me all these different questions, you know, every which way from Sunday. But <laughs> it was really good, okay, because
2: it also uh, helped them a lot, I think, too. So when the actual... Um, you know, testifying came, It was. I thought it was um, really exhilarating because you see it on TV, you know, and until right. you're actually there and it brings it to life, um, you know, the little light that tells you, you know, yeah. red, yellow,
0: green. The, yeah, red, yellow, green, and <laughs> so you're I talking green. Stop. <laughs> I know, when you see that yellow light, you better just shut up real quick. <laughs> exactly. You'll love this, Sandy. I talk about privacy problems. I was, uh, I've testified several times, and one time I was, uh, getting ready to testify it was a panel and i was on the second panel you know how they do panels and, and you get to do yep. the second panel and and i didn't know this and lloyd is watching it at home on tv and i was trying to i was getting ready i knew i was going up and i'm like fixing my bra strap and i didn't know that the camera was over my shoulder and when i got back he told me there you go it's right on you right there there, I could see you fixing your <laughs> bra strap before you went up on the panel. So. Well, hopefully you'd been to Victoria's Secret or something. You had a really nice he came fun. in when he told me, and he had taped it. And I went, "Oh my god! I didn't know that it was on there." You know. <laughs> You know, you get ready to go up there, and uh, anyway, so I know I've been through that, but yeah, it is an exhilarating experience. And you did a great job, Sandy. You really did. Oh, well, thank you. Let me just tell my audience who you are again if they just listen into the bra story. Okay, you're listening. (laughs) We're interviewing Sandy Hughes, who is the global ethics, compliance, and privacy executive at Procter and Gamble Company, and she is headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. A nice, Midwestern girl I'm also from the Midwest from Chicago area so I know that area too. <laughs> but you left and went to California. Yeah yeah I did uh, yeah I had that little respite there in uh, in Europe so
2: I guess that was good. Too. Yeah. I was also in Alabama that was interesting.
0: Yeah so
2: how was that in Alabama? Well, we said before we went to Europe that that uh, was a different culture as well and a different language, so it really prepared us <laughs> for Europe. <laughs> Did you learn how to say y'all? Oh, we had it down, yeah. It was <laughs> like, you know, mashing the key on Wednesday and doing our statistics. You know, I could do it pretty good. <laughs> hey,
0: that's really good. I so- love
2: the southern southern accent for anybody who's listening. Oh, I
0: know, <laughs> I know. Great. That is so cute. And then, you know, the pecan pie and all the good stuff that oh they have gosh. to eat. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's fun. So, you have a lot of hats here still. you you got your CPO, the Chief Privacy Officer, and you are the Global Ethics Compliance and Privacy Executive. So, what does that all mean? What do you do all day long?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I told you about how I got into privacy, you know, being the problem solver, and that's kind of been Mm -hmm. the the story of my career, go from, you know, setting a strategy in one area to, you know, doing it in another. And that was the case with uh, taking on ethics compliance as well. So the company was ready to take that to the next level. Um, and ha- since I had had a number of the different compliance programs, um, they asked me to take that on as well to come up with some strategies on um, managing compliance across all the different types of risk areas and um, and also how we can more effectively build it into business unit accountability.
0: Oh, my goodness. When I think of all the laws Uh (laughs) that you have Uh to worry about, I mean, are you worried also about, like, HIPAA for your employees, if you have employee information for their health care? I mean, I don't know if you have yourself. Oh, dear, you're self-insured, that kind of thing. Oh, my goodness. And we
2: well, our privacy program being one of the compliance areas, um, is global as most of our compliance programs are we have one policy, one set of of guidelines uh, and principles, and then those were applied to all of the different geographies and types of data that we collect.
0: Wow. Et
2: so for Employees or for um, you know consumers, whether it's through marketing or research or our contact centers, our recruits that come in, our shareholders, mm. our contractors, etc. So right, it's uh, it's pretty broad. And the way that we've done that for privacy, and it's pretty much the same for the other compliance area, is is that we set the bar so that the um,
0: most restrictive you most
2: restrictive to meet all of the different countries and then whether they have laws or not we say this is our policy and we require them to comply with that so yeah. in the 80 countries where we have operations you know, not all of them have privacy laws but they are required to follow our policy
0: Wow so how many people do you have working in the privacy and in the compliance departments well, I kind of
2: separate those two, although there's synergies between them. Um, I have um, three, well, four full-time people. Let's say three full-time people for privacy and three full-time people for ethics and compliance. And then I have one person that's IT that goes across both. Wow. And um, and then and they are full-time. Um, and that, but the way for our privacy program that we really get things done is through our Global Privacy Council for which we have about 45 part-time people. And the way that we have that organized is um, kind of a matrix where there's one global leader for each type of data that we collect. And they kind of take our global principles and programs, for example, our general training and may customize it for their type of data that they're collecting or that they manage within that network. And then the other um, side of the matrix is um, our regional privacy leaders, and they manage privacy across all data types for the countries within their region.
0: Oh, my goodness. So there must be a lot of training and a lot of stuff translated from one language to another. <laughs>
2: yeah, there is. We have our policy, um, our consumer uh, policy in 29, no, 39 different languages.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So what are the key challenges that you face today in is wearing those hats?
2: Well, for privacy, the key, well, I guess it's really for both of them, is the, uh, the speed at which the company is changing. So, you know, being an $80 billion company in, uh, with uh, sales in 160 countries that's uh, we always have to keep bettering ourselves, and so um, we're trying to, um, you know, new strategies, new products, uh, new geographies, etc., moving at breakneck speed. And it, while we're meeting the the needs of the consumers, that um, at the same time we really need to manage our internal productivity, etc. So when you have all of those challenges together, um, that's enough on its own but then from the privacy area you add in all of the new regulations that some countries are thinking about or that they put in place we have to stay on top of that as well and trying to manage uh, all of that at the same time gets a little bit hectic so,
0: so, so how do you sleep <laughs> 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 I never have a problem sleeping. Oh, that's good. You work so hard all day that you just collapse. Exactly. Right, well, right. and also whenever <laughs> I get the chance to do it. So first thing
2: on a plane, and I travel a lot. You know, I sit in there. It's just wrote. I'm asleep. You know, before the plane hits the air. Oh, so uh-huh.
0: well, that's smart. That's smart. You it it get your and rest, get and then you get creative. There you go. So, how do you know that you're having an impact?
2: Well, for us within privacy, it's um, we have a number of ways. One. The most important for us is managing the comments that we get from consumers. So uh, we do that on a regional basis, and then once a year we roll it up annually to be able to see what the trends are, etc. So that's uh, most important to us. Um, also, when, you know, for a couple, you mentioned Larry Poneman at the early uh, part of this broadcast, and Now, he's a good friend of mine as well. But also, you know, where we've come to that is through some of the surveys that his company has conducted together with Trustee, And we've come out as uh, tops in consumer trust for our area a number of times. One year we were um, number one from consumers as well as from technically being able to do what we say so when they did some technical tests of it so we were really proud of that and this last year we dropped a bit because we acquired Gillette in the meantime so those brands were rolled into ours and um, they did not have any global privacy program so we talk about challenges (laughs) that a a
0: pretty good one. So so they now are under your tutelage? Oh yeah yeah. (laughs) and they
2: had I mean it was just that they uh, had not been used to that rigor so it they were all for it it was just bringing them in and as we were integrating them into the business anyway uh, we just included them in the privacy program as well and that went
0: went well and I, I think that's really hard as companies acquire other companies and their standards are different it, it is a challenge to bring everybody on board yeah. yeah yeah it is. which kind of leads to the issue of RFIDs you know we we've talked a little bit on this show about radio radio frequency identifiers and people who are driving by with their toll pass can understand what a radio frequency identifier is and they may have seen them in in some of the products that they buy. So why don't we talk a little bit about that and about that whole field because you've been very active. Could you explain what it is and, and how it relates to privacy? Sure. I'd love to do that because, um, like you
2: say, I have been working with it for quite a while. That was one of the areas when I told you that uh, my predecessor said, oh, it's only 15% of the time he didn't see this coming. <laughs> so the RFID kind of like uh, it, you know, was a great way for me to get into the privacy field. But um, basically radio frequency uh, identification has been around for a long time. Uh, it's the technology that the military has used a lot to track uh, equipment, etc. Um, you know, tanks and things over the satellites, etc. So over the last 20 years or so, the technologies continue to develop, and especially in the last 10 years or so, um, to be able to bring that down, scale it down, to the point where um, the we can develop these little tags that you can put on products that are really dumb. They're not like the kind that track military, etc., cetera, but they, we call them passive tags, they can correspond with a reader. Um, and the way that I like to use the analogy is um, the barcode that you'll see on products that you buy today with all the lines and everything, um, that came from uh, or those codes are really governed by uh, UPC and EAN, who have now since renamed themselves as GS1. Well, their offspring was EPC Global's electronic product code, and they, um, and they um, have developed an electronic barcode, if you think about it that way, that does not require line of sight to scan it, but instead uses radio waves so that when you pass a reader, let's say, over a full pallet of product, you're able to see um, and know all of the products that are on that pallet instead of having to to scan each box to see what is on that pallet. So the efficiencies that you get in the supply chain are tremendous uh, in speed and accuracy of knowing what is flowing through from the suppliers to factories to distribution centers to, um, you know, back rooms of retailers and then out onto the store shelves. For, right.
0: It's great for inventory. Yeah, it's great for
2: inventory management. And um, the key thing for us, P&G has been one of the um, supporters of that technology because we do see so much benefit. Back to our mantra, which we told you before, is um, – you know, the consumer is boss, so our objective with EPC, which uh, in using these codes, was to be able to have the products that consumers want on the shelves when and where they want them, at the price they want them. So uh, that's what's been guiding us for that.
0: Okay, so so we we know that there are benefits and there are burdens. Let's talk a little bit about the concerns of RFIDs and, and what the challenges are with those concerns. Well, some of the uh, concerns
2: and that um, first came up, and rightfully so, was uh, people were scared, okay, foreseeing into the future when these tags could be on individual items that they would buy, being able to track them to a person so that, in effect, a person would be tracked. And um, so seeing that, that, I mean, it was very similar to when the Internet first came um, into development where people thought, oh, by, you know, uh, corresponding with me through the computer, you're going to be able to know uh, what I'm doing, where I am, and things like that. And so some of those same fears were with this technology. So a number of us companies who uh, were beginning to get active in this field thought we'd better uh, get together and put some guidelines together for responsible use of the technology. Uh, So I um, pulled some of them together to form this uh, privacy forum. And then EPC Global was... uh, getting organized as well and we morphed that then into the public policy steering committee under EPC Global and that still is in effect today. Um, So one of the things that we did as an industry group was to put together guidelines for responsible use of the technology for item level tagging even though um, we didn't have any plans to do that for a long time and even now it's just uh, barely getting started on item level, um, putting those tags on there. So the guidelines basically that we've put in place or that you need to give notice in some form, whether a symbol or whatever, that a tag is present. You need to give choices to the consumer, and then you also need to educate consumers about uh, what the technology is, but also if you're going to be using the tag for anything other than you would a barcode today, uh, you need to be transparent with consumers. So those are kind of the basic guidelines. And under the choice um, at the time and and still prevalent today, the choices were to put tags on disposable packaging um, or uh, ways that it could be discarded when the consumer would use the product or leave the store etc and that's what uh, is happening today
0: so help me understand so i think one of the concerns that i hear about those is just that when the product is purchased and it leaves the store does does it deactivate or is that a possibility to deactivate so that people don't feel like you know somehow a reader could read it somewhere else well, today for tags
2: and for most um, manufacturers who are using the tags today on product at the item level, it is on removable packaging. Or let's say it's on a DVD case. When you open that jewel case, then it breaks the tag.
0: Oh, I see. So it does or deactivate. Or you on the
2: cellophane wrap, when you pull it off, you, know, you throw that cellophane wrap away you would be throwing away the tag as well.
0: Right. So, so that's I, the
2: way it is for the most part today. But the thing that we're working on now is for when manufacturers would be envisioning in the future any embedded tags, so where you, you can't put them on removable packaging, et cetera, um, You know, or you can't destroy them. What are some different solutions and choices available to consumers when you have that situation
0: right so are they developing guidelines for that we
2: are so we already came up with some guidelines and these are guidelines that you know EPC global members so um, you have to be a member of the standards organization but we make those available to others as well um, that we uh, encourage and recommend and actually as part of the joining EPC global they are supposed to follow these guidelines that I mentioned to you already, but the new one is for deactivation of the tags and how that would actually work with some of the um, programming within the tag.
0: So, you know, we had um, Senator Joe Simitian out here in California has introduced some legislation, and he's been on our show about RFID. What do you think about or what is your organization, the EPC Global? What do they think about self-regulation versus the uh, a legislative approach. Well, right now
2: the technology is still so new and still developing. I mean, it's gone really fast as it does, you know, uh, just in the time period that I've been there. Um, and but it has so much further to go as far as developments um, uh, that you know, to put legislation in place now would really thwart the learnings that we can get from it. So, for example, when we first started out, um, and what I said in my testimony back in 2004 is it was really for improving the supply chain efficiencies and inventory and things like that. Right. Well, one of the things that we found through the developments of the technology is that we could really improve... um, on the effectiveness of some of the promotions and making sure that when we are introducing a product with all of our advertising on TV and, you know, flyers and coupons and things, you know, when a consumer goes in a store and they don't see a display there or they can't easily, you know, find what has been advertised that would be on display, that that's, you know, a loss of, of consumer um Delight because they're not getting their product. It's also right. a loss of sales. They go to another sure, store or sure. somewhere else. So we can tra- track those display cases that are at the end aisle displays, and see if they got to the stores in place before the advertising actually takes place. Right. So um, that so it's ask. a marketing
0: tool as well. It's then. a mark. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, to make
2: sure here again that the consumer. Uh, is is satisfied with what we're telling them is going to be there, is actually there.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I worry a little bit about um, self-regulation. Good companies like your company that has already established the trust and that you do follow your policies, you do believe in choice, you do believe in transparency, I think that's really great. And I think if you could get everybody to do that, I just have somewhat of a concern about self-regulation working for those companies that are that are less than ethical than that are a little bit less yeah. um, willing to do something so but, I, well, I have mixed feelings you know about that yeah. about that because I know even when um, it was funny because when Joe Semidian was on our on our show he is a re- he believes in technology he believes in RFIDs he just wanted to make sure that before everything, Um, things get out of hand, that there are some, you know, uh, some placement of protection. And um, he told us about how they did not know the senators in California didn't know that their name tags to get in to to vote had an RFID in it. and, and, And it was read by things inside the doorway.
2: Oh at their, at their voting booth Yes or something?
0: yeah when they oh. when they walked in I mean he showed this like two years ago I think when he was on our show he told us about that that they did not know that there were RFIDs in their in their ta- tagged in their name tag to get into vote. And when they found that out, they were pretty shocked. So that's really important. And here we have a governmental entity. So I think think that's what I'm worried about, is that not everybody is going to be on board. And I think it does have tremendous, great implications. But it also has, there's a dark side to everything. Well, and that was the thing I was going to say, is that, you know, there's going to be bad apples out there. And,
2: you know, it's for... Any technology or anything. I mean, you look at the Can Spam laws, for example. Sure. You know, those of us who were already doing the right thing, right? You know, it put extra work in there, and did that really stop it a lot? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and well, so it's very hard like, to
0: do something globally, right? I mean, yeah. a lot yeah. of that spam probably comes from countries that aren't even uh, part of the European Union. Exactly. You know, so. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think
0: it's it's the only ones that we can really regulate, and that's hard enough, is, is probably our own companies. but right. That's right. And then you think about, you know, global information flows in general. I think,
2: you know, that's kind of the way of the future. We have to start thinking more broadly about privacy and protection and things like that for, um, you know, to have a country-by-country country or technology-by-technology, state-by-state or whatever becomes really hard to navigate, not just for companies, of course, but it's also for consumers.
0: Exactly, exactly. So uh, do you think that the United States will have general privacy legislation like they have in Canada and other places?
2: Well, you know, I think just for that reason that I just said about the, um, you know, the confusion for consumers about what laws in place, you know, where, for what technology, am I covered or not, um, that for that reason um, that there could be general privacy legislation in the future. So whereas you know, P&G was really not behind that or advocating it, we were more neutral, I am part of a group now looking at, well, if there was going to be legislation, what would be some of the things that we could help um, you know, to educate on or to get in place and, and stuff like that to provide some guidelines. So...
0: What, what I thought is really impressive, one of the things that you said, which I knew about Procter & Gamble, is that you really value privacy and trust. And you were talking a few minutes ago about how important it was that you make sure that your policies comply with the strictest uh, yeah. uh, countries. Yeah. And And one of the things that I think would be Helpful, At least if we were going to have privacy legislation to make your life easier as well as all the other privacy and compliance officers would be to have some kind of privacy legislation at the federal level. But my concern would be is that we at least have it at a level that, for example, like the, you know, the some of the California laws have uh, may, maybe are a little bit more stricter than other laws in other states. So uh, I think that's the hard part, is how do you negotiate legislation that um, will get to at least the highest standard? Well, and I think we
2: also have to think more broad about the future, too. So,
0: yeah.
2: you know, what's happened in a lot of cases with the laws that have been put in place is they think about the technology today, you know, that's popping up or something, and uh, you know, it, 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 somehow it needs to be broader to think about the future and what could come, etc. So that we kind of, if we're going to cover it, we, we think more broadly.
0: Right. It's like in our security breach legislation, we talk about encryption, but it, encryption at a at a standard level that is you know uh, approved by a, a certain council, and I think that's really hard because the technology is so incredibly. Uh, you know, evolving. Yeah. I mean, how do you keep up with all that? I think it's kind of like if, and that's one of the things that this group
2: that um, I'm working with, if we could put some principles in place, you know, that kind of like no matter what the technology is or whatever, if you're using information for this purpose, then these are the principles that you should provide notice and choice and access, and here's what it kind of looks like, you know? Right. And if right. you're using it for this purpose, then you should. You know, do this, this, or this. And then that kind of gets away from what technology are you using for this or that, et cetera.
0: Exactly. It's like overall principles that, that respect the consumer or respect the employee. Yes, or respect whoever is out there that and how have,
2: information is going
0: to be used. Yeah. Right, that you have those general principles that everybody knows. You're not going to collect without giving them notice. Right, <laughs> and if you collect for one purpose, you're not going to use for another purpose unless you get their permission to do it. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so it's it's such an incredible area. You know, it makes me think like you know there, we're sitting on the campus at the University of California in Irvine, California and there might be students here listening of course there's business people driving by but students here thinking gee you know what an incredible field i want to get into that <laughs> so so if what would you tell you know now that you have been in a privacy role for a long time what would you be telling some of our our aspiring students who maybe are it people who are you know security it technology or Maybe they're thinking of law school. What would you be telling them about the role of a privacy officer? Well,
2: I think one of the things, um, uh, because we see people from all various backgrounds who are in this profession, is it's really your uh, leadership skills are most important. And, and in that case, it's more the situational leadership, or the we call it the five E's. So you need to be able to envision where things are going and then to um uh, engage people in that vision, energize them, um, you know, engage, it really enable them to do it, and then execute. So the five E's, and you need to be able to do that because you, you know, to just be like a technologist and you know, or or just a lawyer and sit in your office and you know, work on privacy is not the way that it's done. Right. You really get things done through people, through the alignment, through. Uh, influencing, et cetera. So the leadership skills and communication skills are really paramount, I think. Um, and, uh, of course, then having some uh, specific background that you can apply to that, whether, uh, you know, kind of varies depending on which industry you might get into. So if it's more regulated then having a legal background, probably is uh, more important than like in a, you know, consumer products like we are where it's not so regulated. So, so that is really important as far as skill base. But underlying is what you said mm-hmm. for some people, these students who are seeing it and they, they're thinking this is pretty exciting. It's, you need to have that passion, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the passion is paramount because you keep, you know, running into resistance or people who just don't get it or issues that come up and having the passion to do what's right and what you know is right is the thing that really helps you get through those hard days.
0: Yeah, ethics. And also being flexible. When I look at your career (laughs) and how flexible you've been and really open and receptive to new ideas and change, I mean, if you're the type of person who doesn't like change? This is okay. not going to be the career for you. There you go. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Right. But there's another thing I know when I've spoken with many different privacy officers, some of them report to um, different, you know, some report to general counsel, Some some of them get to report directly to the CEO. What What is the optimal reporting line well you know that's been kind of a ongoing debate that
2: we've had in our little circles you know for years now since it's been going on and and Larry and some of his studies has tried to look at that as well. I don't know that there's really an optimum um, I know some companies who who've moved it from place to place when it first started at Procter and Gamble it was under our um, um, Marketing organization. We actually called the internet new media at the time. Interesting, now so old. <laughs> <laughs> new media was it, <laughs> and that and privacy was born from that. Although, of course, we'd had employee privacy for years and years and years. But uh, for, for marketing and consumer privacy, uh, that's when it got its start. And then um, because it was more an outward-facing thing and, and as laws were starting to come up, then we moved it under our external relations, which includes um, uh, media and um, government relations, et cetera. And then um, when I got it, because I had my other hats, it, we were actually under the global business services, and then, as I've moved, um, I'm actually in finance now. It's just gone with me. So wow. So who do you report you, re- you well, report the to? Most, CFO or what? Well, the most important thing is that my sponsorship has not changed. So, well, except that he keeps getting promoted. So <laughs> well, that's good. He's the chief operating officer now oh. at uh, McDonald's, and he is awesome. Such a you know big supporter and proponent of privacy. And anything I need, he's there for me. Um, but also the um, other sponsors that I have are the chief marketing officer, our global business unit president, our um, CIO, the, um, the HR officer as well. I mean, they are all key players and, and of course, the uh, external relations officer. They're, um, you know, really close to the program. And uh, if I need them for any one specific thing, then they'll, you know, write the letters to the general managers and above, for example, right, or, something right. recently, or help me to get staffing if I need it. Um, and then uh, I review the progress with them as we go, and they have ideas for other things we could be doing. So that has stayed constant. So even though my reporting line has changed, my sponsorship has not. except well, as
0: It I seems said. to me that that is so important that if a company puts – the privacy officer in a place where they're reporting pretty high up, like you are. Yeah, that that shows a commitment to privacy and trust. It does, and I it think does. that's why your company was able to, you know, be up there and um, yeah, it, be it, it, a, you know, because if you're if you're put at the bottom and you report maybe just to general counsel or you report maybe to HR, which would be kind of crazy, or whoever right. you report to. Or even marketing, marketing may not like the fact that you're telling them, no, you can't do this. Exactly. exactly yeah and so you get a little bit of conflict of interest exactly i mean you got to be a mediator and it sounds like you're a great mediator to mediate all these different components but if you're if you're placed higher up then like you said you can have somebody you know chief operating officer can write a letter and just saying this is what we need from you and that gives you a a great deal of influence yeah and Mm -hmm. ability to to get something done
2: Right. So we have the consumer is boss, and you know, and when I use the consumer verbatims, well, they don't like this, they don't like that. That makes people, you know, sit up and take notice. But if that isn't enough, then I can pull in one of those folks, and and then that always works.
0: So Sandy Lloyd is telling me we only have a couple minutes left. So what do you think is the future of privacy in our country? You're you're right in the heart of it. That's true. That's true. I can tell you, it's good job security. I think <laughs> good. <laughs> I think, uh, contrary
2: to what I had heard before, privacy uh, is not going away. It's just going to continue to grow, but it's going to be in different ways. Uh, With all the new technology and capabilities um, that are developing, uh, we're going to have to be more cognizant of building privacy into those new things, new applications of technology, but also just the global information flows um, as – you know, with the Internet and other technologies that really uh, place no boundaries anymore on information flows, we're going to have to see the, you know, country regulators working together a lot more. Otherwise, it's, it could hinder the economy in their individual countries if they become too, you um, Strict and regulating of what goes on in their
0: countries. So. Right. So we're going to have to have you be a mediator for all these countries <laughs> 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 because you because you've actually had that experience already. You're, uh-huh. yeah, well, you're the troubleshooter, so we're just going to send in. Our, our fearless leader, Sandra Hughes, to um, <laughs> to be the, the global mediator for privacy. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, as long as it's
2: great locations to Yeah, travel yeah, to. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, we thank you so much for all your time and joining us tonight. We're, we're really so pleased to have you, and we're so pleased that you've been, I'm S- especially pleased that you're the president of the IAPP which is my organization as well and that you're doing such good work out there in a in a very big company that can be very uh, influential for the rest of the the country as well as the world so thank you well thank
2: you very much mari and i hope to see you at uh, either the uh, academy or the summit
0: for IAPP coming up right and we will talk to you soon thank you again for joining us thank good night you. You've been listening to Sandra Hughes, who is the Global Ethics Compliance and Privacy Executive at Procter & Gamble, which is headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. You've been listening to KUCI eighty-eight point one nine FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. And also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can listen to previous interviews. You can see our upcoming guests. And you can download podcasts and write us an email about what you want to learn about in privacy. Thank you, and good night, and thank you, Lloyd.
1: The opinions
2: and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.